morning, everyone. Today, uh, we're, we're continuing the If I Only Had One Message series. For the rest of the month, you'll be hearing from uh, the elders here at the church. And if you're joining us for the first time today, welcome. Uh, I hope that you'll find someone, you know, after the service. And uh, maybe we can tell you a little bit more about what Providence does uh, and our mission to make, grow, and unleash disciples. If you don't know me, uh, I'm Jonathan Mixon. I'm one of the elders here at the church. So, um, you know, the, the question is, you know, if I only had one, one chance to preach, if I only had one thing I could say, what would I say? And why would I say it? And the topic I've chosen um, isn't something that's, you know, heavy and theological, I don't feel like. I don't think that it's um, something that is, um, you know, re- requires a lot of uh, knowledge to, to discuss. I think it's something that requires a lot of intention, though. It's, it's a topic that's been discussed at many youth camps, I'm sure. Um, it's been put on T-shirts. It's been used as Facebook statuses. Uh, it's been overused by your favorite Sunday school teacher growing up, I'm sure. Um, and because of that, you know, I want, to, uh, uh, I want to tell you the topic, and then I kind of want, I want to reframe it because of that. So um, my topic is to love God and to love people. Uh, and I know what you're thinking. It may sound short and oversimplified, right? Um, you know, because you've just heard that so much, maybe. Um, you know, I know, I know that's my case. Uh, so I want to, I want to reframe it to get to get started here. So, my topic is: when things overwhelm you, when things become complicated, when uh, the pain of life sets in, we need something to hold on to. And uh, you know that that is the simple words of Christ: love God and love people. So. Uh, before we dig into that, um, a little bit about myself. Uh, if you don't know me, I grew up in Granger County, just across Cherokee Lake here uh, in a small country church, uh, New Blackwell. I went there from the time I was born till uh, through eighth grade, probably. And after that, in, in high school, we moved to a larger, more contemporary church. Uh, you know, had a big youth group. Uh, did did all the uh, the summer camps and uh, youth retreats, stuff like that. Had a blast. Um, in um, each of those churches, though, that you know, they had they had a dramatic effect on on my life. You know, I, I gained a lot of instruction from each of those. Uh, you know, growing up, uh, the pastor of the parsonage was right next to my house, and you know, I, I felt like growing up, he was one of my best friends. Uh, you know, he'd always make time for me to you know answer questions and uh, you know enter, entertain uh, just wandering thoughts of a hyperactive middle schooler, I guess. But uh, and you know, and then going into high school. Um, you know, I had a lot of uh, people that poured into my life, and and I'm grateful for that. Um, but uh, God began dealing with me around the age of 13. And, um, you know, looking back, uh, I'm so thankful for those people that, you know, kind of guided me through through the wandering, through the questions. And uh, But make no mistake, this thankfulness is uh, it's something that I've had to, to cultivate. Um, it's something that... Um, I believe we all need to learn to hone and preserve, um, you know, through time because it took me a while to get there. Uh, and what I mean by that is um, it's easy to become critical of the people in the past from your journey, you know, when you look back on them sometimes. Um, and here's what I mean by that. Um, every person that I think back now on cherish, at some point they've let me down, right? You know, you can think back to that person that, you know, maybe even the person that guided you to Christ, right? You know, uh, they just let you down. 
And, you know, I don't know what that looked like in your life, but, you know, I've got vivid pictures of what that looked like. And, you know, a lot of resentment can build up, you know, especially growing up when you're young. You know, you think, you think grown-ups are perfect, right? You know, we, we, all, we all feel like, uh, oh, this, this person, he doesn't make mistakes. And then when they do, it just destroys your world, right? Um, so, you know, I dealt with a lot of that growing up. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't have a filter when I was a kid. If I thought it, I'd say it in church, out of church. And, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd, I'd try to get right with people. But, uh, you know, that's neither here nor there. But, um, you know, uh, sooner or later, everyone will let you down. Pridefully, I thought to myself, you know, I'll never be like those people. You know, I, I, they they have their flaws, but, you know, when I get older, I'll do it right. I won't fall into the same traps. So I did, you know, I, I grew, th- I grew some of, uh, through some of that tension that I had in my life and uh, the thoughts I had about that. And, um, you know, I matured, I forgave, I repented of my pride and arrogance, uh, you know, because we all grow through that, right? You know, it's sooner or later you realize we're not bulletproof. You know, not, not everybody's perfect. And, you know, we grow up and we grow into those adults that make the same mistakes sometimes. But I, I guess, you know, as I grew through that, there, there was one defining moment uh, fairly recently in my life that, uh, you know, kind of wrapped all that up for me. Uh, we, me and Hannah were getting married. We were going through uh, marriage counseling. And, uh, you know, we were doing marriage counseling with another individual. But uh, we got married at Hannah's grandmother's Presbyterian Church, Eastminster, down in Knoxville. And um, the pastor there, he said, he said, I'd like to talk with you all if you'd like to get married here. And, you know, he wanted to hear about our salvation story and stuff like that. And I, I started, you know, throwing off hints of, of these different things that I've went through in life. And I think he picked up on that. And uh, he said something to me that just kind of rocked my world and solidified things for me right there. Uh, and I've carried it with me ever since because it, it helped, you know, kind of wrap up the, this this thing I had going on growing up. Um, and he said, he said, never discount the path that God brought you in life. God works through it all. The people, the places, the churches. Even if you thought they should have done a better job, God worked through all that. And, you know, I, I, learned, I learned to to look back on the people that have encouraged me in life and the people that I've encouraged in a different line. Um, you know, because that, that shifts things. It solidifies things uh, to, uh, you know, no longer blame the church for what you thought was wrong or right. The church is not perfect. But the church is God's chosen instrument to mature and grow believers. And, they, and make no mistake, churches will hurt you. You know, I, I think we've all been hurt at some point or another. But um, I can remember situations that I didn't think went right, but I can also recall instances that I've been on the other side of that. So it's give and take. Churches fail us all around the world, but I believe that God will preserve his people. He'll sustain these groups of believers. So what is the church to you? What are these groups of believers to you? And do you have people that you walk through life with? Uh, now to summarize, you know, you know, God through the years has reminded me that groups that glorify him and proclaim him, he will use. So... With that in mind, to love someone, what does it require? Uh, as a believer, I don't think we can separate a love for people from a love for God, right? Um, because in Scripture, we're commanded to love God and keep His laws, as we'll look at here. Um, when Tony prompted us to start doing research on this, uh, 
the passages that came to my mind were Matthew 22 and uh, Mark 12. And we'll look at those here in a second. But, uh, you know, Jesus gives this response that's, you know, kind of summarized as love God, love people in these, in these uh, chapters. Um, it's, it's the great commandment. So, um, you know, and the reason that I chose this and I like how Jesus addresses it is because it, it, takes, it takes the complicated and it applies a simple concept to it, right? You know, and, and I think that's important for us today because, you know, we have thousands of events and social dynamics that pull at every fiber of you, that claw at your time, you know, your, your mental space, your sanity, your attention, and even good things like friends and family. Uh, parties and, you know, Instagram and, uh, you know, social causes, events on the family calendar, you know, your kids' events, summer vacations, back-to-school shopping, your job, your side job, exercise, events you don't even want to go to but your friends do, right? And I can't, I can't do anything about those situations, but what I can do is offer something that's simple that maybe you can carry with you and remember in those times, that you can remember... Something that will supersede all those things that are going to claw at you in life. When the stresses of life fall in, just remember, our goal today is to love God and love people. So now, let's look at uh, Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. It says, uh, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now let's look at Mark 12, uh, starting in verse 28, just for a good measure here. Um, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. Kind of smug, ain't it? You're right, teacher. Um, you have truly said that he is one and that there's no other beside him. And... Uh, to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You're not far off from the kingdom. After that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So uh, where did Jesus get that? Is, that, is that? is that some new stuff Jesus made up, drop, dropping some truth here? Well, not necessarily. Um, if we look at Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verse 5, um, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then uh, quickly, Leviticus nineteen eighteen says, uh, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbors yourself. So in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, uh, you know, two different uh, books there, but in Deuteronomy we've got Moses speaking. And in uh, Leviticus, we've got God speaking to Moses. So uh, Moses, you know, for the Pharisees and the Sadducees in uh, our gospel uh, narrative here, you know, they held Moses in very high regard. Uh, so, you know, he was, he was the man. So Jesus addresses, you know, their, you know, 
the main one of the main characters in in their history in their religion, right? Uh, he doesn't go against it. He doesn't present something new. He says, you know, this is what this is what the teachers say. So what's he getting at? What's all this about? So first, I think we need to look at you know loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This isn't just knowing or believing, right? He doesn't say believe God and love your friends, right? Love your neighbor. He doesn't say that. He says he says to love, love with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So James 2 helps us expound upon that when it says uh, in verse 19 of chapter 2 in James, um, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So, you know, right there we have a picture and a stark reminder that the demons believe. So how can we move past you know, just just a mental knowledge, just believing that Jesus is who he says he is. How can we move past that? Because that's what we're commanded to do, right? We're commanded to love God. So love is an action. You know, love is a rearranging of the priorities. It gives a place above all other commitments to that one thing or person. And in our case, that's God. So uh, in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, it's not just knowing, it's realigning your thoughts. It's giving precedence to that love in your life, right? And it's acting because of that. So quickly, I want to I want to just I want to camp out uh, on the on this real quick, and you know, just for it to be a meditation that maybe you could take with you, um, you know, with our heart. You know, when we look at uh, Matthew twenty two thirty seven, um, what does it mean to love God with our whole heart, our emotions? You know, the wellspring within us that that just seems. You know, it responds to the pain or to the joy in your life, right? You know, I, I challenge us all to sink into the depths of what Christ has done for you, like a helpless newborn, right? With all your mind, I challenge you to intentionally preserve mental space. It will not come natural. It will take work to love God. With all your strength, act on this love. Fight for the causes that, you know, God has, um, that God has set before us. You know, his commands, the the people groups that he says, you know, give attention to these people and care for these people, right? And then with all your soul, you know, our very being, you know, the, the part of us that when this life is over, you know, will carry on. You know, love God with all of that. Um, you know, these actions that help us focus our entire our entire being on loving God forces us to confront a truth that... He gives us commands, and Nehemiah reminds us of this truth. Um, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5 says, And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. The commands he gives us in Scripture, um, we should follow them, right? Why is that? Have you ever stopped to just, you know, dwell, why do we need commands? You know, why does it have to be that complicated? Why can't it just be simple? Um, and, and, you know, I've asked myself that a couple of times, but, um, you know, let's take the Ten Commandments. There's a lot of reasons we have those, but uh, one of the main reasons that I keep coming back to is um, the fact that through those commandments, God's teaching us how to love, right? You know, we don't know fully how to love, you know, because we're selfish, we're selfish people. Um, you know, we're, we're prone, we're prone to, to wander and we're bent towards sin. You know, we all have that bent towards sin. And, you know, that, that's an issue that we have to work 
work through. We cannot love out of our own heart fully. But there is hope. We love out of a heart that's been transformed by God. We love out of a mind that's being renewed daily. You know, this action accompanies this belief. An intimate understanding of our depravity, God's wrath, and uh, Jesus' sacrifice for sinners, you know, helps, helps with this. It helps, you know, guide your wandering heart. Uh, this love for God guides us through life. Uh, and through the Holy Spirit that I pray, I pray that we can, we can live in this truth. Because I, I think we need a daily reminder uh, to, to live in the power of a loving God. You know, we, we need to be reminded of the gospel often. So quickly, uh, j- just again, j- just another thing to meditate on. Uh, number one, man has sinned, turned from God, and chosen sin over a relationship with God. That sin's passed from Adam and Eve down through history. Um, and we all have this bent towards sin. God cannot stand to look upon that sin. He's, a jealous, he's jealous in his devotion to his holiness. Right? He will pour out his wrath on sin and he will judge the earth. We need someone to stand in our place and take that wrath. That someone is Jesus. You know, just meditate on that. The moment in history that Jesus took the full weight of God's wrath for men and women on earth who had rejected, denied, and mocked him, that's not the Jews, that's not just the Jews, that's all of us. He stood in our place covering us in redemption. And now we have an opportunity to stand before God blameless, covered in the sacrifice that Christ made that day. Don't let that pass you by. Hear that today, and if, you know, and if, if Jesus sought you out and you know him, I praise God. Um, if you're sitting here today and you think, I don't know him, I don't love him, or I don't know how to, then I beg you to cry out for mercy and seek, and you will find him. Um, I think he's drawing you to himself if, if those are your thoughts today. Um, I beg you not just to know him, I beg you to love him. Seek him today. Ask for your heart and your eyes and your mind to be open to these truths. So now that we've discussed loving God, and you know, I hope that kind of you know, gives you some internal things to just kind of meditate on and uh, always, keep, always keep with you in those complicated times. Um, I want to move to the next part, which is, uh, you know, you may be wondering, well, how do I love my neighbor? Um, for me, this was the original spark of, uh, of this message. Uh, I, ha- I didn't have a lot of intentions uh, going through this first half, but, you know, as, as we'll see today, it, it's, it's tied explicitly. Loving people is tied to loving God. So, um, like I said, this was the original spark for me. And the conviction that I feel for loving people serves as a constant reminder of the sin in my life. Um, I want you to know before we get started that I do struggle with this. Um, I strive to be better at loving people. Um, God continues to show me just how self-centered I can be. Um, I've been broken by God several times when I think about the condescension, the condescension that I've displayed and the pride that I've had in my conversations with people that I love. Um, it gives me pain to think about the pain that I've caused people just because of how I've treated them. Uh, so don't hear someone instructing you on how to love your neighbor. Hear rather the sinner realizing his error because that, that's what this is. Um, I, w- I want you to hear my plea to dig in deep with your community. Hear me seeking to grow with brothers and sisters in Christ in Jefferson City. 
How can we display the kingdom to Jefferson County? I think the answer starts with loving God, and that's what this is all about, loving Him first. But the next verses will provide some context linking the two together. The power of the former, loving God, with loving people. So 1 John 4 says in verse 19, We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So, you know, just just taking that first piece there, we because he first. You know, never forget that. We love because he loved us first. He empowers that. He is the eternal source that we should draw from, right? In all our interactions, in all the frustrations we have with uh, people that we can just stand to tolerate once a week, just remember that there is power to grow through this and to, uh, to, love, your, to love your community. So if you, if you claim to love God next, um, it says, uh, but have hate toward a person, you lie about loving God. That's not what love from God looks like. Um, you know, if, if you get into what Tony says on Sundays, if you just love the worship and it, it just resonates with you, if you listen to K-Love on the way to work, you don't say any cuss words that week, God is still disgusted if you don't love your neighbor. Because without, without that action being carried out, you know, we have displayed that we don't really have that love within us. I think they're explicitly tied to each other. The knowledge results in the action, and that love should carry our church and our message forward. Um, the church, the Christian life, isn't just Sunday mornings. <clears throat> it's everything in between that, um, that we need to be focused on. And it's a command that I, and I urge the church to you know, dig in on this idea of loving people. So, uh, you know, next and what I'd like to spend the rest of my time on today is uh, your neighbor. So how can, how can I love my neighbor? Um, how can I practically love people that just annoy me sometimes? And it's okay to say that because, you know, I think it's okay to be honest, but we need to move past that, right? We need to find a truth that it isn't about they treat me this way, so I, I treat them this way. We need to love out of this eternal spring. Um, so going back to Matthew 22, uh, verse... 39, it talks about loving your neighbor as yourself. So what does that entail? How do, I, how do you want to be loved? Um, to, to, love, uh, to love your neighbor as yourself, I mean, you know, one way to look at it, you know, one worldly way would be, you know, gifts, money, you know, relaxation, vacations. I need a personal assistant. I want someone to take all the pressures of life off of me. That's how I want to be loved, right? Well, that's one way to look at it. Or, you know, we could look at it another way that uh, culture addresses it. Um, you know, Jesus, you know, he, he was on to something. He's an ethics teacher. You know, he told us to love your neighbors yourself. So, you know, just, just make people feel good. You know, love them like you'd want to be loved. But I, I think that kind of falls through, too, because, you know, we're tying love for people with love for God. So 
the, the example I landed on that made the most sense for me, and th- this is kind of easy for me. Uh, I have a daughter that's uh, 18 months old right now, so she's currently, you know, not destroying everything we have. And, you know, she, she's not, she's not a, a uncontrollable at this point. She's still adorable, and I love her to death, right? Um, so, uh, you know, I'm a new father to Maggie June, and, uh, you know, every time I fail her, every time I fail my wife Hannah, you know, it just breaks my heart. You know, I'm just disgusted with myself. But I look at them both and I think, give me another chance to be a better father and husband. Um, and I, and I, I, think, I think that begins to explain what we're talking about when we say, um, love your neighbors yourself. The urge to grow, to build up, to repair, and help those we love flourish. Uh, and I think that's what God wants for us. I think that's what he designed with the church. So if Providence is your home, let's get to work. Let's get our hands dirty, and uh, let's cling to each other. I don't think community is passive. Uh, We have to extend arms into our community and love them. Bring them in community as well. Don't exploit them. Feel them, and let them enrich your life as well. Care for them and have a commitment to your community. Grow where you're planted. Um. Doing all this will help break down barriers between, uh, between you and, uh, you know, the people that we're trying to reach. The, what we're called to do as Christians, you know, to make disciples. Uh, so for, for a good example of this, and this is the last uh, passage we'll camp out on today, is uh, Acts 2. Uh, this is one of my favorite passages. I've been stuck on this passage since about 2012 uh, at different times. And... Uh, um, you know, I was overjoyed when Tony went through this uh, this book uh, a few years or a few months ago or years ago, however long it was. But uh, uh, I, I just have a special place in my heart for Acts uh, because you know, for me, it helps make things simple. When I think about church, if everything else fails, what can I do? I can look at Acts. Acts is the early church. So let's start there, verse forty-two. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, for sure, there's heavier topics here I'm, I'm sure we can discuss. But I'm just going to glean a few thoughts from this section of Scripture. Um, first, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, first and foremost. They were learning, growing, being humbled together. Uh, they shared life um, as they went along in this world. Some of the most meaningful times in my Christian life have been with others where iron has sharpened iron and uh, where men have confronted the things in my life that have been unchristlike. People that I had relationships with that could speak the truth, but they also had the grace. They had the grace to delicately nudge me at first. I believe that's necessary. I believe sometimes we lose that, especially in today's culture, where we can sit on social media and just shout past each other. We may think we have a truth, but that truth will not fall on good ground. 
if we cannot communicate the grace, if we cannot have the social capital with that person to speak into their life. I think we need that today. So do you give grace when you're correcting someone? Do you give grace when someone speaks a little harshly to you? Do you want to be heard for your correct doctrine, your theology, your superior understanding, or just overall displaying how well you've got it together? I urge you to consider grace because it prepares the heart for truth. So next, uh, in this passage, uh, it says they were uh, eating, enjoying each other's presence, and praying together. So, uh, you know, in, in, in Acts, I'm going to break this down real quick uh, as, as we're closing out today. But uh, eating, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to explain this through, through my eyes. Uh, I don't know any other way to do it. I'm sure this is universal in most cultures and uh, uh, places you go in the world. But uh, I grew up in Granger County. Uh, and I, I remember eating a lot of good meals at uh, uh, just poor little backwoods cabins growing up. You know, people that um, prepared feasts out of what they had. It wasn't money that they had, it's food. You know, if we think, you know, if you think back to growing up, if you grew up in the country, uh, you know, Silver Queen corn. Whose mom put up Silver Queen corn? Whose mom broke half runner beans and canned them? You know, some of us had that, so, you know, that, that's, how I, that's how I, you know, like to communicate. But, uh, you know, think back, think back to the feast that you had on Sundays or on holidays. You know, the pot roast, the ham, the pinto beans and cornbread, the canned half runners, the cream corn out of the freezer. You know, all these things, they, they, weren't, they weren't just something for you to munch on, right? It was the riches that those people had. That's what we had in, in, in the country. We may not have had everything, but we had food. And we shared that. And if anyone ever showed up at your house, at your grandma's house, they didn't leave hungry, did they? They left needing a nap, probably. And, you know, church, I would challenge you today that, uh, you know, that's the best way I know to explain it. I believe eating can be very spiritual. You know, it, it speaks to people where they're at. It meets an immediate need. So I challenge you with that today, um, with your hospitality, with your front porch community. You know, express that with people, your friends, but more importantly, the people you don't know, the visitors in your life. Bring them into that. So next, fellowship. It says, the, it says this group of believers was fellowshipping. So, um, you know, this can be a good meal, cup of coffee or whatever it may be. Um, but, uh, you know, it can be a lunch break or a weekend getaway. Uh, I'm the world's worst at this. I've failed at this more than anybody because, you know, for a long time, my life's just been too busy. Uh, God's working on, on that with me, though. Um, and I, the reason I feel like this is important is because your neighbors need to know that you love them and care about them. You, they need to know you care about what's going on in, in their life. You know, don't, don't just tell them what's going on in your life, you know. Re, reach out to people. Prayers. So this group of people prayed together. Prayer is a level of intimacy. It's a way we communicate with God, for sure. Additionally, in community, uh, you know, it, it's just humbling to think about the people that pray for you and intercede for you on your behalf. If you've never experienced that, I urge you to get into a community where you can experience that. 
Um, it just it just reminds us of the needs we all have for each other. Um, for the um, you know just just know that you know people need loving arms, listening ears, and tears of joy, knowing that someone cares about them enough to lift them up to God. If you don't need that, someone you know does. I guarantee it. Uh, next in our passage, we see that the community had a reverent fear for the work of God uh, that God was doing through the apostles. We know from detailed accounts in the New Testament that miraculous things were being done by God in the early church. So that shouldn't apply to us today, right? You know, I, I haven't seen a miracle lately. Have you? Uh, well, if you think that, then I urge you to reconsider. Because not not saying that you're going to see a miracle today if you believe it. What I'm saying is that uh, you may not have ever seen someone healed of a terminal illness. Or you may not have ever seen someone raised from the dead. But trust me, if you look around, God is working in your communities. God is working with the people that you love. God is working. Our issue, our issue I think, isn't that we... Uh, God isn't working. It's not that God isn't working. It's we're just we're just too busy to see it. So I urge you to slow down and to get involved with that community, and share life. Next, it says the church shared their lives, their possessions, and even sold their possessions to meet community needs. They took care of each other. They freely gave and were thankful for what they had. Do you express that? And most importantly, in the last verse, there's two things that praise God. Um, there was something about a community that agrees in heart and soul to focus on God. I think it's where community thrives. Um, it's where miracles are realized. It's where prayers are answered. And most importantly, it's where God's most glorified. And finally, they had favor. it says they had favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number daily. Salvation is not by your hand. Rest easy in that. You were called to love people. You were called to be sharp and ready. But God saves. Never forget that. He melts the heart of stone and he draws men to himself. Um, God, God, God has called us to love our neighbors ourselves. But I think what the world often sees is um, the church loves their neighbor like the world loves their neighbor. So they look at us and they say, there's no difference. Show them a difference. Be that difference. So what can we, uh, in closing, what can we take from this passage in Acts? I think Providence is a great church. I believe that we're on track to do amazing things in our community. I believe we're on track to do amazing things where you live with your neighbors. Uh, If you have a passion for how we can serve this great community, let's talk about it. We're open to discussing that. Let's find ways to support more ministries and more people in this community. Let's take care of those who need it. Let's take care of people that other people aren't taking care of. Let's quit ignoring the people that we would rather not see sometimes, the people we ignore. Um, Let's gather together at houses and break bread and cry and love each other, correct each other, rejoice together. Let's be in awe of the God of the Bible and His Son Jesus who sacrificed to make us right with the Father. 
And the Holy Spirit who's working in your heart, bringing us along and convicting us of our sins. Let's reach out to the hurting, the lost, the broken, the ignored in our community and show them that God is mighty. I'm not proposing you give more of your busy life to Providence. I'm proposing that you find a way to live in community with your neighbors, to glorify God through community, and then pass that along to someone else. You figure out what that means for your family. I know you're asking, why would I want to live in this community? I've been hurt by communities before. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in the business of doing that again, right? Uh, I think for a few reasons. Because it's the standard set in Acts. And because Jesus tells us in Matthew that there is a way to love selflessly. To love, you know, the illustration of the pipe. You know, we are pipes, not pots. We don't just gather. We don't do tit for tat. You know, we, we love out of an abundance and an eternal Father. Um, I pray that this church can be that for the community. <clears throat> now, surely, this, this methodology will have its share of messes. Um, it will be hard, but I promise you it will be worth it. Messes happen when people know each other deeply. Um, we don't want to just pass each other uh, once a week and pretend like we're in a vacuum. Uh, we want to interact with people, and we want to get to know them. We don't want to just skirt by not raising red flags on a Sunday. I think we're called to more than that. Uh, too often we suffer alone. We let things like pride, anger, addiction, pity, sadness grow silently and we never bring them up with people that are sitting next to you that are commanded to love their neighbor. Why is that? Find accountability in your community. Live outside your comfort and challenge yourself to grow. That's the picture I believe we see in these passages today. So in closing, I want to reemphasize that God has used the relationships that I have to convict me. You know, I, I've, I've sinned more than anybody in this area, so please don't hear me, you know, shouting at you. Please, please hear me as someone who has mourned over the times I've failed, my community. Communities where change happens. Sharing pain and joy together. We need bold friends who tell you how you really sound when you say something dumb. We all need that in our lives. Friends that are... Uh, Friends correcting our less-than-sound doctrines and beliefs sometimes. That's what I long for. Deep community, not a cultish clique. Sold out and humble believers in Jesus Christ who want to grow the kingdom and continue to be a pipeline for the work that God will do in our lives. So don't be afraid to tell people you need them. Don't be afraid to reach out to somebody that needs help. Don't get mad when you think people should reach out to you and they don't. But then on the other side of that, learn to recognize pain in your, in your brother and your sister's eyes. Learn to recognize that. The only way we get better at this is if we're confronted with our own shortcomings. If you'll pray with me. God, we're so thankful for simple commandments. For simple things that can guide our overcomplicated lives. 
we're too we're too good at the wrong things, God. We're too good at making things so busy. God, help us to find a way to uh, to cultivate a, a stillness, a heart that meditates on Your wisdom, that glorifies You, God. I lift all these things up to You, and I lift this congregation up to You. God, encourage the men and women kids in this room to be the community that Jefferson County needs, that the Lakeway region needs, that Tennessee needs. I pray that we continue to spread your name, your glory, to love through action and, and seek out our neighbors, God. Let me pray.